Welcome to the Awaken Podcast. At Awaken Church, we are passionate about wrestling with and being unraveled by the Christian scriptures. Ideally, we do this together around the table in the neighborhood of Bones. As we see it, Jesus has invited all of us to encounter Him in a diverse community and participate with Him in a mission of loving our neighbors. Uh, hello, good afternoon. Um, we made it. We're here. We're doing it. Doing what, you ask? Finishing Romans together. We're doing it. Um, but not just that, we're also like one week out from the end of the liturgical year. Next year is Christ the King Sunday. That marks the end of it. And then we begin a whole new cycle with Advent um, and a whole new year and new exciting things to come. So it's a big moment, I guess, in the church year and for us. Um, but I was also thinking about how last year at this time, I was like nearing the end of my internship and um, we were finishing our series on the book of numbers. And I remember just feeling really I don't know, kind of sad that it was over. And I'm feeling that way a little bit about Romans, but also excited about what is to come um, and how it this series might have shaped our imaginations and might be leading us into something new. Um, and so my hope is that our study on Romans continues to do a work in us that brings us ever deeper into loving community um, where everyone here and all those not currently present and, and many others who we haven't even imagined yet uh, would feel loved and feel welcomed. Um, and the end of Romans furthers this idea of a new community and a reshaped group of people. So that's basically what we're going to be talking about today. Um, and uh, I'm just going to read one verse for us and then talk a bit and we'll get into more later. But Paul says right at the beginning of chapter 14, verse one, welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. That's a sermon in itself. Um, but the conclusion of the book of Romans is an invitation into the work of relationship. It's also a challenge. Welcome everyone, as it says, but don't fight over silly things. I wish I could say that that was an unlikely outcome, but in reality, it is not. I remember being that Christian who thought it was my duty and responsibility to argue my faith into everybody's life. Um, and I was adamant that I had it all figured out and that if it just came to, if you just came to understand what I knew and what I understood about Jesus and the gospel, then you'll be fine. Um, I remember thinking that in first year of university and boy, was I wrong. So how has the book of Romans been used to divide the church? It's taken people and divided them into groups of superior and inferior. It's been used to justify oppression. It's been used to uphold corrupt political systems it's been used to tell people that they have to adapt in order to belong. It's been used to shame people into certain behaviors or out of certain behaviors. It's been used to diminish individuality and somehow at the same time also diminish community. It's a heavy theological text, yet the theology is simple. Trust God with your neighbor and for your part, just love, mercy, openness. Readdressing Romans and letting it reshape us requires an ability to grow and to change. It takes what is termed as a growth mindset instead of a closed or a fixed mindset. In simplest Dallas terms, um, and then we'll get into more specific language, 
a fixed or closed mindset would be one that says like, either you are, or you are not like, you know, something you're born with something or you don't have it. And that's basically it. You're not open to new things. A growth mindset would say, no, like maybe I'm not the best at this, but by practice and by through learning, I can become better or we can figure this out. According to mindsethealth.com, I Googled this, a growth mindset is defined as that which views intelligence and talent as qualities that can be developed over time. This doesn't mean that people with a growth mindset assume that they could all be the next Einstein. There are still variables in what we can all achieve. But a growth mindset simply means that people believe their intelligence and their talents can be improved through effort and through actions. A growth mindset also recognizes that setbacks are a necessary part of the learning process and allows people to bounce back by increasing motivational effort. This kind of mindset sees failings as temporary and changeable. And as such, a growth mindset is crucial for learning, resilience, motivation, and performance. Alternatively, in a fixed mindset, people believe that attributes such as talent and intelligence are fixed. That's to say that they believe they're born with the level of intelligence and natural talents that they will reach in adulthood, and that's it. A fixed-minded person usually avoids challenges in life, gives up easily, and becomes intimidated or threatened by the success of other people. This is in part because a fixed mindset doesn't see intelligence and talent as something you develop, but something that you are. Fixed mindsets can lead to negative thinking. For instance, a person with a fixed mindset might fail at a task and believe it's because they aren't smart enough or they're not capable. Whereas a growth mindset person might fail at the same task and believe it's because they just need to spend more time practicing. A fixed or a closed mindset is relatively black and white. It leaves you with two options. Either you are or you are not. Either you're capable or you're incapable. And I think many of us can relate to both of these on some level at various points. Ever tried to help a child with homework? Many of you are parents in this room, so I'm sure you deal with this on a regular basis. I obviously do not have kids, but I was a kid, so I can speak to this. And I was really stubborn when I was in like junior high, I'm imagining. And so when I would ask my parents for homework or help with my homework, I thought I was a treat. But boy, was I not. Um, I also helped somebody else with a, a university paper last year with like that same mindset of just like, I cannot do this. And they just sit there and like stare at it. And like, no matter what questions I would ask, no matter what prompts I would deliver, just nothing. I'm like, ah, that's what I did to my parents for many years. God bless them. But anyways, we love binaries. Our brain wants to categorize everything as safe versus unsafe, bad versus good, us versus them. It's why we like sports and war and elections. We can see good guys and bad guys, and we can act with our lizard brain that just doesn't have to do much work. That's also why if you watch preachers closely, um, we're often kind of shifty in our posture. And I'm like very aware of that now as I speak. Sometimes we cross our arms and we like lean back. That's because we think you're going to lunge at us somewhere in our lizard brains. This vigilance is the result of trauma, the quick need to find safety. You're constantly afraid. And thank goodness your brain knows to do that. It's kept you alive. 
But at some point, you need to expand beyond that to know that you'll be safe no matter what, that you're not going to lunge at me as I stand up here, probably. Paul here in Romans roots our safety in our awareness that we are beloved by God, chosen by God, and adopted as children of God into the family of creation. This is Romans 8. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from that identity. Nothing in life, nothing in death. We are beloved. There's a safety that comes from that. Imagine an entire community of people who knew that they were inherently beloved and that even when they were different from others in that community, they never doubted their worth or their value. It would be a non-anxious community. One of the first books I read on my internship here was uh, on being a non-anxious presence. We have an innate need to be authentic, to see things differently. We value authenticity and differentiation, but we have an equally strong need to be connected in community. And it's so hard to walk that edge between the two, isn't it? Most of us err on one side or the other. We differentiate at the expense of community. You know, too bad I see it this way. And I'm right, like me many years ago. Um, I don't care how that affects you. This is what I believe. Or we err on the side of connection and even codependency, where I agree with you. I'm afraid of conflict. I'm afraid of losing this relationship. So I'll just dissolve into it. No opinion of my own just here to make sure that everything is okay. That is me, or was, and I'm learning to not be. I learned from a, a young age that my emotions and my thoughts didn't matter as much as others. So I survived by determining that it was safer to just keep those to myself and let other people take up as much space as they wanted. I might be six foot four, but I can shrink into some pretty small spaces if I need to. But you can't have true community this way. We can't all just agree with each other all the time. And nor can we all be ide ideological islands, the self-made man, independent, self-sufficient, in control at all times. But this is what many of us have learned. And this is what the church as a whole has taught. Disintegrate, disappear, diminish yourself just enough so that you would fit in with the majority. I bet we could point to some historical moments of this happening on a pretty big scale. But true community, a Christ-like community, says you belong just as you are. And you're loved. Friendships should look like this. I see it a little bit differently than you do. But I'm for you. Our relationship is non-negotiable. I see things differently from you. And I love you. We can disagree and be radically for each other. Your voice matters, full stop. And your place in my life matters. That's a non-anxious growth mindset. And this is Paul's heart in Romans 14. Um, and we're going to keep reading from verse 2. I have a number of slides. It's a bit of a chunk, but we'll just we'll go with it. So in 14 verse 2, some believe in eating anything, while the weak eat only vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain. And those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgment on servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, 
and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than another, while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. And those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God. While those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. We do not live to ourselves, and we do, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. So why do you pass judgment on your brother or your sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each of us will be accountable to God. Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another, but resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. If your brother or sister is being injured by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ has died. So do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness or justice and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The one who thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and has human approval. Let us then pursue what makes for peace and for mutual edification. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for you to make others fall by what you eat. This is a wild claim. Paul saying, if it's wrong for you, don't do it. But if it isn't wrong for your neighbor, don't judge her for doing it. Let's respect each other and remain in community. Paul's being quite scandalous here. Uh, the book of Acts is basically the accounts of the Holy Spirit leading people like Peter and Paul into situations and towards people they would have never imagined. So naturally, they have to discuss what it means to accept Gentiles into their community. What do they have to do? What do they not have to do? And so a bunch of church leaders get together and have a big conversation about it in Acts 15 called the Jerusalem Council. Um, and I'm just going to read two verses from this, um, 15, verse 19 and 20. It says, Therefore, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God, but we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. This council is a huge vote, like an assembly for a denomination that those things sometimes happen. And they all decide to break with tradition and make circumcision no longer a requirement for belonging to this community of people. But there are new requirements. Abstain from food sacrificed to idols, which was the only way to buy and eat meat back then unless you had your own livestock. They must abstain from fornication and meat with blood in it. This is a huge decision. And yet here in Romans, 
Paul breaks even this decision. He says, food thing doesn't really matter. Romans, uh, we're just going to keep reading more text. Romans 14, uh, verse 22 and 23. The faith that you have, have as your own conviction before God. Blessed are those who have no reason to condemn themselves because of what they approve. But those who have doubts are condemned if they eat because they do not act from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Romans 15. We who are strong ought to put up the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Put up with the failings of the weak, sorry. Each of us must please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up our neighbor. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, so that by steadfastness and by the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus so that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We could just theoretically end it right there, but I won't. Welcome one another in verse 7. This is precisely the theology that's needed for creating affirming spaces that everyone is welcome. And Wendy Vanderwall Gritter says in her book, Gracious, Spa Gracious Generous Spaciousness, um, uh, she kind of talks about this whole thing, and, and it goes even beyond creating affirming spaces. Church communities ought to be spaces where you and I can have different fears and thoughts, but still welcome one another at the same table in love and mercy. It should be a place where we aren't judged, but given freedom to be vulnerable with one another. Remember what we read at the very beginning of the sermon from verse one, welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. I was talking with a friend of mine the other week about faith and church and Christianity and all those fun things. And he expressed how he was struggling to connect in the church community because he constantly felt like he didn't know enough about theology to fit in. He didn't know what to think because he'd been told most of his life what to think. And now he's lost in his understanding of everything and few people are making space for him to just simply be. For him to slowly learn to trust his own voice and feel safe expressing it or just simply not expressing it and saying, I don't know. The gospel is a cosmic welcome into the life of God. It's not the proclamation that you are God or that we are God. It's the invitation to be an image bearer within the life of God. You are fully welcome. You are welcome fully. And you are fully welcome to be fully you, safe and connected. And that, that script shapes my imagination for community. I welcome you with the same welcome that I myself received. Um, I do have permission to share this story, um, but Nikayla told me once about a time that she was at a sweat lodge with a Cree elder, and the elder knew that she was a Christian pastor, uh, but he's a residential school survivor, so she felt a little ashamed to let people there know that she worked in the, the Christian world. But in the lodge, the elder asked Nikayla 
to share a teaching from her scriptures. She was really kind of afraid in that moment and hesitated. But the elder said this. He said, Nikayla, your Christian faith is welcome here. Those are the terms of the treaty. My people welcomed your people, and I am obligated to observe my responsibilities to the treaty. You are welcome to practice your faith, and you must make space for a faith that is bigger and older than your faith. But don't go live over there in your faith and ignore us over here living ours. You are our neighbor, our kin, our family, our co-laborers. You are welcome here. And Kayla said she panicked, but accepted the invitation. And her teaching was that according to the Christian tradition, the goal of faith is not to get clean and smooth enough to rise up and make it to God. Her faith is that God comes all the way towards us. And our rough edges are the places God can grip us. And our rough edges are how we grip onto each other. So it means a lot to say, come as you are. Because God fully welcomes us and welcomes us fully. She said she teared up in that moment and said, thank you for teaching my own faith tradition and how you've welcomed me today. I'm able to open myself to receive you because I have a clear sense of who I am. I'm not afraid to welcome you because I know that I can join myself to you without losing myself or my voice. And I know that I can be connected to you, genuinely connected to you, and still respect each one of you and your voice. This is incredibly difficult to do, but it's what Paul is inviting us into for the sake of our own selves and for the sake of our community. Many of us here, um, maybe not as many in the room as I imagined, um, are students or have been students. How many classes have you been in where that one student's voice just like sucks all the air out of the room? And nobody else gets any space to speak and share? Maybe you've been that student. I don't know. If you're somebody who grew up silencing yourself, then your body intuitively kicks right back into that mode and you'll just sit there and observe. How many marriages have failed because only one voice got to matter and the other was expected to dissolve into the relationship? How many churches have fallen apart because one person's voice dominated the system and everyone else was just expected to be loyal to that personality? How many families fall apart when the children become independent with their own voices? Coincidentally, I was in Kelowna this week for a few days when I got asked to preach this sermon. Um, I was in Kelowna because I was visiting my parents who moved there back in June of this year. Some of you know a little bit about my family, but basically being around my family is complicated. Um, whether implicit or explicit, I always felt an expectation to be a certain person for them and to live my life in a particular way to make them proud of me. Is that a relatable premise? Now, as you might've noticed, I've made some cosmetic changes to my body. I occasionally paint my nails now, which is a really wonderful experience because they give you a great hand massage. I also got my ears pierced the other day, less lovely of an experience and a little bit gruesome. So I won't tell you that story. Dion knows it and it was, it happened. These are things that I'm proud of because they contribute to me becoming my full authentic self. But 
bringing myself into the presence of my family feels like death a little bit because I knew they wouldn't understand. My parents didn't love my earrings and my nail polish. It was hard for them because they're not used to having their son have his own voice or show up as his own individual person. So the temptation for me is to over-differentiate and just kind of like bulldoze through it and just be really aggressive and push them away. Or I'll just cower and shrink. The temptation for them is to shame me back into connection. Adulthood is where my parents and I can acknowledge our differences and maintain committed to that relationship. I went into this trip dreading the conversations I would have and the criticism that I would face. And guess what? I was right. But I also knew that I had to be the healthier, whole adult human who made space for them to be the same. And believe me, my inner child felt threatened at various points, and I almost lost it a couple different times. But I just imagined that little boy holding onto the back of my shirt while I, the adult Dallas, handled the conflict and reminded my child self that he was safe and he was loved and that I had him. And while it was exhausting and still deeply painful at times, I also saw my mom open up in ways that I'd never seen before. Yes, we are still different, but there's space for both of us to exist and know that we are loved no matter what. I've been learning to grow into my own full authentic self this past year. And one of the phrases, phrases that has been most significant to me has been, I see you. I'm in a class right now at Ambrose that's all about creation and theology. And one of our assignments has been to select a tree, any tree, and then go and visit it once a week. And we're supposed to journal about it, conveying the data, just simple like observation, what you see about the tree, what you smell, things like that, but also the affect, what it makes you feel. Now, I've been shaped by Awaken for the past couple of years, so I was super down for this assignment to just go like sit by a tree. And September and October were pretty great because it was warm out and the trees were really pretty. And it was regular and consistent. My weeping birch tree down by the river just sat there in the park, ever so slowly shifting in color until it was blossoming of beautiful yellows and some oranges. But it retained much of its lively appearance for a very long time. And then we had that first random dump of snow like a few weeks ago or whatever. And I went to visit my tree after that. And what I saw actually devastated me. It went from the most lively tree in the area to on par with all the other leafless trees. It was barren. And I felt a connection deep in my soul to this tree. It was exposed. Every part of it was visible to the world and the elements around it. Now, I resonated with that because I've had kind of a hard season this year that's required my full self, the hidden parts and all good things and bad things to be brought into the light. I felt like I was that tree. Being exposed to the world, daunting and utterly terrifying, yet completely necessary for my own growth, just like the tree. Except the tree understands this about herself. She knows that she must go through this stage every winter before she can begin to blossom again in spring. Yet the tree is no less than it was before. It's still a beautiful creature living as it was intended, fully loved. 
no more judged than it was before. It just exists and thrives. Beloved, perfect, valued. It got me wondering, what if we lived like that tree? Like, I mean, isn't that what most of us want? To be seen? To let the most vulnerable parts of ourselves out into the presence of those we love? And to be met with gentleness and love and mercy and care? Even if your experiences have taught you to shove everything down and not let anybody in because they will inevitably let you down, it's just your body protecting you because you learned early on that people weren't meant to be trusted. But man, did you want to. You still want to, but you're surviving. That's okay. There's space for you. You can't rush somebody out of that state but you are still beloved. Where you are seen and loved, you can begin to heal. And after all, your healing is my healing and mine is yours. So why don't we make space for you to be yourself, me to be myself, and remind each other that we are loved no matter what. I'm going to end with a prayer here, but I want us to do something a little bit different with it. I would love it if you actually pray with me. So I'm going to start us off and I'll make it pretty obvious. Uh, I'll make a pretty obvious pause in the middle. And then if anybody feels led to pray, just join in. It doesn't have to be long. Please don't feel like you have to pray a whole paragraph. It can be a sentence or a few words or a word. I don't know. But each of your voices matter. Each of you know things that I don't know. You see things that I do not see. So let's collectively join our voices as we advocate for ourselves, for one another, for our community, in the presence of the living God. So let me pray, and then I'll make space for any or all or none of you to pray. And then I'll close it off at the end of Eric will lead us in communion. Creator God, your joy is for us for each one of us individually and for us as community, your community. Your desire is to see us united despite our differences, however big they might be. Our prayer is that you lead us ever closer to one another, always in love, mercy, and grace. Oh God, who sees, let us also see ourselves and each other just as you saw us first. Restore that which is broken in us and make us an increasingly safe space for everyone to be vulnerable and authentic. For all our voices matter and not one of us is above the other. And you come towards each one of us always in pursuit of loving healing. And so we as the community, all unique and all valued, we express our prayers and our thoughts to you, O oh God. Lord, we pray all these things, spoken and unspoken, seen and unseen, in your loving name. Hear our prayers, Lord. Amen.